Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Hey, good morning, good morning. Go ahead and find a seat if you can. Love it. Hey, great to see everybody this morning. And I just want to say to the whole team up here, Man, you guys just did an awesome job this morning. I'm out there. And every time the words came back, I was like, ah. And I wasn't even on stage singing. Then they go away and they come back. So just, you guys, I don't know where you went, but thank you guys so much. That was awesome. That, thank you for, for leading us in worship this morning. And, and that's just technology. I mean, if it if it's, has a computer, it will break. It's just, it's just what it does. And the second you get it fixed... It's broken because you fixed the wrong thing. That's just a computer. So thank you guys. I totally understand. Really appreciate that. And glad you guys are here with us this morning. Man, there's a lot of great stuff happening this summer. And one of the things that's been going on uh, was a couple of weeks ago is we just had the youth, which was the Ignite and high schoolers, all got together for a worship night. And it happened right here. It went awesome. And I got just such a great report back from all the kids. Not only that, uh, but there was also nine salvations. And come on, does that make me so excited? Um, and one of the reasons is, is because I just look at that and I just think, they're saving themselves so much trouble, so much heartache, so much better. I mean, God can forgive anything and he'll use it all for good, but it is so much better when you can start off as young as you can and be like, okay, God, I'm going to start serving you now. And to everyone who's working with those kids and investing with kids here at Life West, and you want to know why we invest so much time and so much energy into them is because, man, we value them so much and want to see God's word planted in their hearts and in their lives. It doesn't return void. Man, it is, it is an honor to get to do that. Um, but today we're talking, we're continuing this series uh, in Ephesians. And really, we're looking through Ephesians. Ephesians is a book in the New Testament um, written by a man named Paul. Now, all of the Bible, if you haven't been here last week or the week before, or the week before, or the week before, or the week before. Okay, so, so all of the Bible was authored by God, but it was written by men under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it was written by some 40-ish authors over 1,500 years. And so they would write it down. So the book in your Bible, so the Bible itself, authored by God, but written by, by many different men. And the book of Ephesians was written by a man named Paul to a group of new believers in Ephesians. And he's like, look, this is what it means. And he's really, in this book, he makes known what it means to be a Christian. He's like, look, this is what it's supposed to be. So what we're going to do is we're going to read some scripture, and then we're going to kind of unpack what it is that he said. And I'm incredibly excited about today's message and the impact it can have on your life. Super, super excited. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm just going to go with verse 3, right there where we left off uh, two weeks ago because we did have Father's Day. And it says this, as I have briefly written you already, verse 4, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mysteries of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And yes, we believe that God still does that today, that God is still speaking. That yes, he reveals things to us by his Spirit. Verse 6, 
He says, this is what it was, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. He's like, look, Jesus didn't come back for one group. He doesn't have a special people that he loves more than others. He's like, look, this was for everybody. The Jews, he's like, this is Jews and Gentiles. And when you see Gentiles as you're reading through the Bible, just look at yourself and say, that's me. Unless you're a Jew, that's you. If you are a non-Jew, then you were a Gentile. And he's like, look, this was for everybody, that we'd all be partakers of the promise. Verse 7, of which I became a minister of according to the gift of the grace that God has given me by the effective working of his power. And we're going to start in verse 8. I'm going to read about two more verses here, and then we're going to unpack this. Verse 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things that we're doing as we're, as we're going through this is looking at just some of the, the nuggets that, that just get dropped in the middle of these verses. So in verse 8, and, and you can just skip over it so easily, this is what he says. He says, this is the revelation. This was the gift that was given to me. And then he said this, who am I am less than the least of all the saints. Now, really easy to skip over that and be like, okay, is he just kind of like a little bit self-deprecating? Like, okay, you know, woe is me, great. Uh, like, boom, and we just kind of go right over it. But um, I, think, I think history really helps us understand the context. Um, I, read, I read several years ago, I came across a story of an elderly woman who was walking through a big city here in the U.S. And her purse was stolen. And she's like, hey, help. She's screaming for help. And finally, the police show up. And, and she says, they say, okay, well, what, is, what does the man look like? And it was a man who stole the purse. And she, she describes it. And they, go, they said, okay, what was in the purse? And she starts off and she says, well, I had $10,000. And then she lists some other things in the purse. And, and the police officer says, why are you, what, what were you doing that you're walking around with $10,000? Because I look at that and you're like, 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 really? Like, okay, why? Why? And you're like, okay, she's a little old. I remember when my grandma got a little bit old. It was like she started doing, she just really gave it away. Like those television preachers, I'm like, I know where they get it. But anyways, so I was like, okay, like what, but what happened here? Why was she doing this? And then she said, well, I'll tell you why I had the $10,000. She was an immigrant to the U.S., and I do not recall what country she came from. She said, she said, when I was a little girl, we were walking, just, just doing our regular, just walking down the road. And the time came. My parents were like, we have to leave. We're, we're fleeing for our life now. She said, I wanted, I said, I need to go back home. They said, no, you can have the shirt on your back and what you have in your bag. We're leaving now. She goes, and we left. And it was really hard. So she said, I wanted to make sure that if that ever happened again, I was ready. So she carried $10,000 just in case if America ever became like the country that she came from, she was going to be ready. So history can really help us understand and give some context to this. So what I want to do is I want to look at this little statement in verse 8 where Paul just says, you know, I am, I'm less than the least of all the apostles. I'm less than that. So let's look at some history some of Paul's history. You know, Paul shows up in the Bible in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we pick up a man named Stephen. And Stephen had been preaching. 
And the, the people didn't like it. Uh, those in power didn't like it. The Sanhedrin, they didn't like it. So they got some people to lie about Stephen. And so they, they brought him in. They brought him in. And they're beginning to try to find something against Stephen. But, you know, as he's preaching, the Bible says that they could not refute what he was saying or by the spirit by which he spoke. So they just get mad. You know, in the Bible, it's just this outdated book and nothing like that would ever happen today. But they just get mad. And so those in church, they drag Stephen out of the city. And this is Acts chapter 7, verse 8. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats. Now, when it says that they stoned him, it's, this isn't recreational stoning. This is, they, they picked up stones and they would throw stones at you until you were dead. And so this is what it says. It says that they began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that's just the latter part of verse 8. So this, and I thought we were talking about Paul. We are. We are. So let me just, I'm just kind of, spoiler alert, Saul becomes Paul. So as we're reading Saul, remember, this is Paul who wrote this book and who just, just a moment ago said in Ephesians that I am less than the least of all of the apostles. The first time that this man shows up in the Bible, he's standing there watching the coats watching over the coats, making sure, I guess, that nobody was going to steal them while they stoned a man named Stephen. And then this is what happens. Acts chapter 8, it says this, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered. That's Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul... You read that and you're like, oh, wow, a lot of stuff was going on. Understand this. Saul was a major player in this. You're like, oh, he was just kind of there, you know, watching the coats. Okay, he was a major player in this. In verse, in verse 2, it says, now some devout men, they came. They buried Stephen's body in verse 3. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging up both men and women and throwing them into prison. Now, when it says throwing them into prison, they never left. They never left. History tells us about the Roman Empire at the time and what was going on and, and the persecution of the Christians that happened. And it was, they, they didn't leave. They died. Acts chapter 9 tells us this about Saul. And again, Saul and Paul, interchangeable. It's the same person. Acts 9 verse 1, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. So he does this in Jerusalem, but then he decides, you know what? That's not enough for me. I need to go. He's like, I've got to go. So he says, Damascus is where I want to go. He's like, he goes to the officials. He says, give me authority. Write some letters so that I can go over there and persecute people over there. So when it says, this, this is what he was doing. He would go into houses, find Christians, and this is what it says, that he would drag out men and women, and imprison them so that they could be killed. Like, can you imagine you're having your small group and someone just shows up and they just start grabbing people and pulling them out? This is what he's doing. And he's like, I've done it here. Now I'm going to go to Damascus. Well, on the way to Damascus, on the way to Damascus, this is Acts chapter 9, he's on the way and he has a, what, what you and I would probably refer to as, he has a God encounter. He's on the way, he's got some friends with him, he has some traveling mates with him, and he's traveling, and all of a sudden, 
Acts chapter 9 says that as he's traveling along, a bright light appears. And so he stops. Like, he's, he's blinded. It knocks him down. He falls on the ground. And then God speaks to him. Now, the people that were with him saw the light, but they did not hear the voice. And it says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now, I find that very interesting, that Paul's answer is, who are you, Lord? He's like, he falls, he hits the ground, and he's like, I don't know who you are, but the one that's speaking to me now, you're God. Like, I know that. I know that. And so what he wants is, who are you? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So Saul, again, who is Paul, he's on his way. He meets Jesus, and he, has, he, he repents. Now repent, here's what that means. Is he's doing one thing. He's on his way to Damascus to go kill, drag people out of small groups, drag people out of the synagogue, drag people out, throw them in prison where he knows they're going to die. He's on his way to that, but he repents. And repent means this. It means you do a 180. It means to go one direction and then completely turn around. So he's on his way to go kill him. He's on his way to go capture these guys, but then he meets Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, well, now I'm going to slow down the murder. He doesn't say, oh, I'll do a little bit less. He doesn't, he doesn't hide some pills under his pillow. He no, he closes the door completely. He completely repents. He changes. He completely, completely changes. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. He goes... And there he is in the city, and he was blinded by the light. And God tells a man named Ananias, go and pray for Paul. And Ananias is like, no. Anybody, anybody ever, God gives you, tells you something, and you're like, no, I, that's not a good idea. Well, that's Ananias. And Ananias, this is in your Bible, Ananias begins to argue with the Spirit. And he's like, do you know who that is? That's Paul. We know why he's coming here. Do you know what he's done in Jerusalem? He's wanting to come do it here. He's like, I shouldn't go. Like, this is not what I should do. The Spirit again tells Ananias, says, no, he's going to be my instrument. Go and pray for him that he may receive his sight. So Ananias obeys. I was like, okay. So he goes and he prays for Saul. Now imagine you're Saul. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he goes home. He tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. <laughs> right? Right? Can you imagine, like right now, we're, we're meeting, and, and, then, and then Saul walks in, the guy that's been going around and imprisoning and killing, you know, that the neighbor that was in small group and then stopped showing up at small group, and like, where are they? And then you were driving down the road, and you saw their body impaled on a stake, like, oh, there they are. He's, the guy that did that is walking in. You're like, no, you're not coming in. You're like, no, hi, I'm here to join you. Like, no, you're not. No, you're not. He walk in, we're all like, ah, and we just, like, like the room empties. Because we know what he did. We're like, what is going on? This is, this is Saul. This is Paul. And then it says this, Acts 13, verse 9. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. So God, God did an amazing work in him. And also, not only that, but it changed his name as well. You know what it says about him? He tried to meet with the believers. When, when Saul was persecuting. It says that persecution broke out throughout the entire church. But then Saul has a conversion, and it says this, Acts 9, verse 31. 
Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced a time of peace. Saul wasn't just a player in this. I believe with all of my heart, he was one of the key players in the persecution of the church. He wasn't just standing there watching coats like, oh, this is great. Some commentaries will say that in a law, in a lawful manner, he had to be there that the person that was the instigator of it, and I don't know if that's true or not, would be the one watching the coats. I don't know. But what we do see is that when Saul gets excited and is like, okay, and he begins to persecute, that the Bible says that the entire church, the whole region fell under persecution. And that when Saul gets converted, all of a sudden it says, and the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced a time of peace. This was Saul. This was the Saul that we just read in Ephesians 3.8 where he said this, And I, who am less than the least of all of these saints. He remembered where he came from. When I was 17 years old, I was driving, driving home one night. It was slick. I was driving my parents' red Ford Explorer, and I'm, I'm, I'm driving along. And, and all of a sudden, it was really icy. The, I do blame it on the four-wheel drive of that Ford Explorer. But anyways, the four-wheel drive kicked in on that thing, and the whole entire car spun around backwards. I wasn't going very fast, but the, the car spun around backwards, which is not a good way to travel down the road. And, and so I'm traveling back. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And as I'm going backwards down the road, I slid off of the road and into the ditch, except the ditch there was a bunch of fields, so the road was high, and then it dropped probably seven or eight feet down. Uh, not a straight drop, but it was just kind of this, this uh, graded incline here, angle, there we go, down, and then a uh, cornfield started. And I can remember, I'm sliding backwards, I'm like, this isn't good, this isn't good, this isn't good. And I'm just kind of, you know, I'd been just driving me and my CD player with its wonderful cassette tape adapter, you know, just sitting there cruising, and now I'm just listening to music as I slide backwards. I'm like, this isn't good. But here's, here's the crazy thing. That happened when I was 17. I can right now still picture, remember, and I honestly, I can hear the sound of as I hit the bottom of that angle and the tires gripped the ground, the whole car tipped over onto the passenger side. And I can still see the passenger's mirror flip up over into the passenger's window and then crush up against the glass. I can still see that CD player fall to the bottom and land on the glass and not even skip. That ESP was awesome. I was like, oh, that's pretty great. Like, right? I, I can remember all, I can hear it. I can remember just hanging there being like, I should probably unbuckle. And without thinking, I just hit the button and I unbuckled and I fell to the bottom where there was an ice scraper. You know how the back of the ice scraper has those teeth that you never really use for anything? Like, no, I don't even know why they're there. I've never used them, ever, never. Except there was one of those loose in the car and it landed on the passenger's window. And when I fell, one of, just one of the, it just went bam, right in my forehead. And I still have a red dot that I had from that thing. And I'm like, oh my, okay, I remember all of that. I can hear it for something that happened to me, just a simple little, like, accident when I was 17. Paul, can you imagine, just imagine being Paul, that when he says when I'm the least, what he remembers of going into homes, when it says dragging women and men out, he remembers he doesn't remember it as just a, a random fact of something that happened, but he remembers what they were saying, the feeling of them fighting back. Could you imagine? As he was standing there watching Stephen be stoned, I bet he remembers Stephen's last breath, 
the sounds of the rocks as people are picking them up. They took off their coats because it was that much work. You were going to work up a sweat trying to stone somebody. It wasn't easily done. You're picking and you're throwing them over and over and over and over and the sound of it hitting. He remembers all of that, every bit of it. So when, when, when we just read and Paul simply says, I, who am less than the least. He remembers all of it. And yet, he says that God has graciously chosen to use me. So what am I hoping that you understand this morning? Is that God wants to use you. We can look, and you and I, we can look and we can think, you know what? God's got a hundred people better than me to go do X, Y, and Z. Anybody ever thought that before? I thought, God's got someone better. Okay, a bunch of you, you're the better ones. You didn't raise your hand. Okay, great. That's, that works. But we can look and we can be like, no, God's got somebody better. Somebody so much better suited. Why would you send me? But I guarantee Paul thought that over and over and over. He's like, me? Can you imagine being Paul? You walk into a church meeting that you're about to, to share at, or maybe it's a small group, and you look over and you recognize, you recognize one of the faces, and you're like, where do I know you from? And then you remember where you know them from. It was that home where you walked in, and everybody left, and they were screaming, and you dragged out a small child, and this was this, this woman, and, and, and you remember all of that. Can you imagine carrying that? He's like, yeah, God chose to use me. Now, here's something I want you to see. Here's something that we see over and over and over in the Bible is God seems to use some of the most unlikely people, people that you and I would write off and be like, well, now they're done. <laughs> like, God's not going to use them. They're done. They missed their opportunity. They did this. They've got this on their record. This happened over here. They should have done. They didn't do. They're done. God seems to use over and over some of the most unlikely people. And I know I'm one of them. I know I'm one of them. I remember um, I graduated, graduated college, and I, I came back. I was doing an internship at a church. And I was working with the youth and doing some stuff. And the, the guy that was over the college ministry came to me, and he's like, hey, would, would you, would you want to share to the, with, with the college? And I was like, yes, of course. Yeah, I can do that. He's like, great. Like two weeks. I don't remember the exact time. Like two weeks at the church. Sounds good. So that I prepare something. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And the two weeks come, and, and they were meeting in the room at the bottom of the stairs. And I was like, okay. And I walked out, and, and, I, and I looked in there, and I thought, I don't really have anything to say to those people. And so I just walked on. And I was like, um, that was great. So my first time I was ever supposed to speak, um, I, I didn't even speak. I, I honestly, I just kept right on walking. I was like, I don't have anything to say. I have no idea what I would say to them. I don't think I'm going to say anything. And so I didn't. So that was number one. I was like, I shouldn't be doing this. Um, so I kept on doing what I was doing for a while. And then they're like, hey, we want you to, want you to share uh, to some of the, the youth. And I was like, okay. And it was like, I think it was sixth or seventh grade. Maybe it was only sixth grade. I don't remember exactly. Um, so I prepared some stuff. And, and, and I shared with them. And and it was probably like 15 minutes. And I thought, man, I did a really good job because half of it is just keeping sixth graders' attention, right? Because they, they climb and throw things and sometimes they throw each other and then they do you know, like everything. Like, okay, like, all right. And, and it was a little bit different. I was like, okay, I, I, think, that, I think that went pretty well. A couple days, couple days go by and, and, and my pastor comes to me. He was over, over the area and, and me and he's like, how do you think it went? 
I go, I think it went really good. Everybody's, I, I kept their attention, and it went well. He's like, okay, good, good. Um, he goes, um, I got a letter I'd like you to read. So he, he hands me this letter. And I looked for it, and I can't find it. Um, I, I kept it for a while. I know where it is. And the move, before we moved, I knew where it was. I, I had like this small Franklin planner. Anybody have one of those Franklin planners? Well, I had one of those, and it was in the back, kind of where you stuffed it in, in the little, little, little zip case. But anyways, so that's, that's where this letter was. That's where I kept it. So I may have it in the, I, I don't know exactly. But anyway, so I open up this letter, and I read it, and it's like, hey, um, well, that was interesting. It was like, hey, so uh, I was in the 180, and, and I heard him speak, and that was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life, and he should never speak again, and I don't know why he's there. Is it just because his last name is Vanderklok, and this was the worst, and he did this wrong, 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 and he had to flip the page over, and he did this wrong, and he did this wrong, and he did this wrong, and I'm like, I I'm like, that's more content than I gave the entire time. I'm like, really? And, and I remember reading that, and I'm just like, mm. like, well, like, like oh, okay, what do I do? And, and, and my pastor goes, well, I just thought you might want it. And then he leaves. And I'm like, so fold it up, put it in the planner. And it, 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 it kind of stayed there. Um, but every now and then, every now and then as I'm praying, even I'll be praying for you guys. I'll be praying, God, what do you want me doing? And you know what? That stuff comes back to my mind. Do you remember the time that you just walked by? How about that letter? That's me. I don't know what your story is. But Paul, he's like, look, I'm the least. You wanna know what we see over and over in scripture? Is that is exactly who God decides to use. A man named Moses in the Bible, you can find this in Exodus. Now Moses, I think was in the right position. I think you would probably agree with me. Moses was an Israelite. And when Moses was born, the Israelites were the slaves of the Egyptians. Moses' mother hid him because they weren't just slaves, but they were also, this is awful what they were doing, but they were telling the parents you had to kill any baby boys that were being born. So his mother hid him. You may be, you may be familiar with the story, but his mother hid him in a basket. And Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's daughter found Moses when he was a baby floating in a basket. And she picked him up, and then she raised him as her own. So Moses grew up in the palace. And so you would think, well, this person has the position, right? They have a position. So sure enough, the Bible says that one day it came into the heart of Moses to go and see his people. There's a lot packed into that. It came into his heart. So he goes and he sees and he's like, I got to do something about this. And he's got a position, right? But what he decides to do is, is he goes and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a fellow Israelite. So he kills him. Not the Israelite. He kills the Egyptian and then buries him in the sand, which apparently is not a good place to bury people because they come right back up. So he gets found. The dead Egyptian gets found. He finds out. He's like, they're going to get me. So then he just takes off and he's like, I'm leaving. And so he just goes off into the desert. He's like, I blew it. It's over. I'm done. He goes and spends year after 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 year not doing it, doing nothing. When we find him, when we find him, he's married, he's got kids, he is established doing what he's doing, and he is shepherding a 
and God speaks to him from a burning bush and says, I'm going to send you back. You are the one. He didn't have the position anymore. Wasn't it all about the position? No, it wasn't. No, it was not about the position. David, King David in the Bible, you know, when you just read through and you see David and you hear King David and he was a man after God's own heart, you might think, oh, yeah, awesome. But you rewind a bit and you look at David. David was one of many brothers and sisters. And one day, when David was a young man, a prophet named Samuel showed up in town and said, consecrate yourselves, we're going to have a feast, we're going to make a sacrifice, and everybody come, and we're going to do this all together. So everybody comes. The, the event of the year, this would be. And everybody comes. But Samuel's there, the prophet Samuel's there, and he's on a mission because God has told him, one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. And I want you to anoint him king. So Samuel's there, and he says, Jesse, I'd like to meet your sons. And so all of his sons come and they walk, they walk in front of Samuel. And then it's all done. And Samuel's like, um, do you have another son? And Jesse's like, well, yeah, you know, there's that one. But we didn't even invite him. He's, he's with the sheep. And I don't know if it was like the brothers that were like, you stay, I go. I don't know if it was like, you're the youngest, or you have to say, if it was, it was me, I know my older brother, he would have been like, I'm going to beat you up if you don't stay. Like, I just want you to know, my brother when we were little was evil. Okay, he got way better, but when we were little, he was evil. I want that to be very well established. But anyways, David's completely overlooked and forgotten by his father. You stay, everybody else gets to go. Yet God's like, you're the one that I'm going to use. If you, look at, if you look at Jesus' disciples, we've got some fishermen, a tax collector, and some unknowns. There's nothing special about them. In fact, most of them, in fact, every single one of them would be disqualified by their lack of education and experience from 99% of church jobs today. They'd be like, mm, no, MDiv, you can't do that, no. How many years of what? No. Shoo, shoo. God has a habit of, can I say this, of using the most unexpected people. One of my favorite insulting verses in the Bible, <laughs> you know, and this is, this is definitely one of them. You know what the Bible does that sometimes? We're just like, mm, maybe you don't, well, you're going to after I read this. 1 Corinthians 1.26, brothers, consider, now this isn't, when he says brothers, he's not talking about actual brothers. He's talking about the fact that as believers, we're part of one body. And so he says this, he says, brothers, consider the time of your calling. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Should I, should I start that next week? Like, welcome. Not many of you are smart when it comes to taking tests. Like, that's, that's what he's saying. He says, not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you are powerful or of noble birth. He says, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly and despised things of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in his presence. What we see over and over in scripture, over and over thing throughout the Bible is that God chooses the most unlikely people. God chooses people who won't try to do it in their own strength. Instead, he chooses people who are like, God, I need you. He chooses people who are like, God, I'm broken. And he's like, good, I'll use you. 
He's like, but I've got this past. And he's like, I know, but I can still use you. But God, this happened to me. Please don't play the I will if. Well, if this didn't happen, then I could. No, God can still use you. Well, when I finish this, then I will. God's like, no, I'll use you right now. I'll use you right now. Paul was the, his background. You'd be like, really? But you want to know what he was? He was like, God, I'll need you, and I'll go where you tell me to go. So what am I asking you to do? Here's what I'm asking you to do. God wants to use you. Understand this. He's not waiting for anything. That class you're in, good. I love education. Get a background. Understand. Build a foundation. You need one. Paul did. He most definitely did. Build that foundation. But, but start today. And here's what that means. You pray. You pray. And then you obey. You pray. If you need to repent, you repent. You say, God, I need you. I'm sorry for ignoring or not doing what you've called, but today I give my heart and my life to you. And then you obey. You pray and you obey. Because understand this. Knowledge might change someone's mind, but it's action that changes people's lives. My prayer for you today is that you leave, you pray, and then when God speaks, you obey, that you take some action. You're like, okay, God, what is the next step you have for me? What is that step? Is it in my education? Is it in praying about what I'm doing with my business? Is it what is happening at home? God, is it what to do with these finances that are come in, and what am I supposed to do with this, and how is this supposed to happen? And what, God, that you pray and that you obey. Because knowing might change your mind, but I'm gonna say it again, but it's action that will change the world. What is the action that you can take? God wants to use you. God loves to use the weak. I'm not strong enough. Yup. I'm not wise. He'll use you. But I can't. Good. Now that you know that, he's ready to use you because you'll rely on him. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He wants to be the one that you rely on. That thing he's placed in your heart. Maybe it's a dream that you're like, I don't know how I could ever get there. Man, we were getting ready to start this church. I was like, this isn't going to work. I was like, look at God where you've led me and the thing that you had me do. I'm like, this doesn't even, I don't think anybody, I wouldn't follow me. Like, no, this isn't going to work. And I read it just again the other day. Proverbs 20, 24. The Lord directs a man's steps. How can he understand his own way? And you might be like, no, you don't understand. Look at the way that my life is lined up and the trajectory it's been on and it, this is where it's going to keep going and I know what this is. And God's like, no, 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 no. When I direct your steps, it might not make sense to you. You might not understand. But when the Lord directs a man's steps, how can he understand his own? He's like, what I've got for you is a totally new trajectory. But it starts with exactly where it started with Paul. It starts with an experience. It starts with surrendering your life and your heart to him. <laughs> Paul cried out, who are you, Lord? He knew that there was a God. He's like, I knew you were there somewhere. I just didn't know what. Paul was like that, that go-getter that's like, I'm going to do it. He thought he was doing the right thing. But the minute he found out he wasn't, he's like, okay, God, you are Lord. You're what I'll serve. I'm yours. What do you want me to do? 
I'm, I'm in. All you got to do is just redirect to this guy. He's like, and he just keeps going. He just keeps going. Maybe today's the day that you say, you know what? Today's the day I give my heart and my life to him. And you can begin to work out the plan, the purpose that God has for you. A complete change in the trajectory of your life. But it begins with you repenting. Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we will be saved. That's where it begins. If you're here today and you say, you know, today's the day. I'm going to leave here knowing right where I stand with God. Today's my salvation where I call out to him. I'm going to leave forgiven, set free on my way to heaven and begin to follow the plan and purpose he has for me. That you would love the honor of praying with you right in your seat. That you then at the count of three, I want you to be bold. You're going to shoot your hand up. And you're saying, I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. We're going to pray. We're going to say amen. There's going to be a party in heaven. And you're going to leave here a changed man or woman. If that's you, get ready. One, two, three. Right now, shoot it up and say, this is me. This is my day. Today I'm giving my heart and my life. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Awesome. Let's just all bow our heads. And I want everybody in here to repeat after me as you lifted your hands. You say these words. And we're going to say and we're going to pray together with you. Let's all say this out loud. Everybody say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. Today, I give my life and my heart to you. I give you control of my life. I know that you are Lord. And today, I'm yours. From now on, I'm yours. With all that I am, I'm going to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.